Please turn also to the New Testament. We are at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. Ephesians 4, 20 to 21. This also is God's holy word. Starting from verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to, put, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May we go to our God together in prayer and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for you have given us your word, that your word instructs us in how we ought to live. It instructs us on how we ought to think and what we ought to do. Father, we acknowledge that your word here says that we should be learning Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we, your people, would be those who uh, desire to find out what is pleasing to our Lord. Father, we pray that we would study you. We pray, Father, that we would meditate upon you. Father, that we would delight in you. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would transform us into the image of your Son. Father, we pray that you would help us to give us, give up the old ways. Father, we pray acknowledging that you have taught us new ways, new ways of thinking, new values to hold to, new loves, new hates. Father, we pray that we would love the things that you love, that we would hate the things that you hate. Father, we pray that we would follow after Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that if any are here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray, Father, that you would do this mighty transforming work, that you would slay the old man, but instead that you would raise up anew. We pray, Father, that your son Jesus would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Do you enjoy people watching? Perhaps this is a, a, a hobby for some. When they go on vacation, they sit and they watch people. You realize that studying people uh, oftentimes is what happens, say, in the service industry. If, uh, if you have a favorite restaurant, if you have a favorite coffee shop, isn't it, does it mean something if the barista or uh, the, the wait staff would say to you, oh, would you like your usual? It tells you that they're studying you, they observe, they remember you. Here, when we think about how for servants, you would think that these are the types of servants that are valuable. These are the types of servants that would receive better tips. At least this is how we would think of it. 
And there is a studying that goes on, an observation, a learning about people. Here, you realize that uh, we are called to learn our Lord Jesus. It looks like your Wi-Fi name or password has changed. To update your Wi-Fi information. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, So we are called that we would study our Lord Jesus, that he would be one that we observe. He would be one that you and I are familiar with, that we would know him, that we would know his ways, that we would know his values, that we would know his loves and his hates, that we would be those who seek the things that are pleasing to him, that we would study him, that we would learn him, and that we would then follow him in his ways because he is worthy of it. If we think about how the wait staff in some of these restaurants, that they want to earn your business, they want to earn your tip. How much more so should we as the servants of God, as his children, who is the source of life, how much more should we study him and desire our Lord Jesus? Here, we think about the, this book of Ephesians. It presents the Lord Jesus Christ as our glorious Savior. And we ought to see in this book the contrast between what you and I once had in the world and what we now have in Christ. This is perhaps why the Apostle Paul keeps on going back to the memory lane of your old life, and then he keeps on speaking about, and, and that is not the way you learn Christ. This is, not, this is not how the Lord has called us to live. Seek the things that are pleasing to him. And that each time we think back, there should be for you and for me a consistent and a constant statement of my new life in Christ is vastly superior to the life I once lived. Because the life I've once lived was meaningless. It was purposeless. It was futile. It was a wasted life. I hope none of you think that your new life in Jesus Christ is in any way wasted. But that rather in comparison, we would say that the old man, the old woman that once was, that was a wasted life. And Jesus, you have redeemed us and you've brought us into your kingdom. And this life is in every way far, far better. And that's even including all the negatives that come with following Jesus Christ because I'm not going to hide it from you. There are negatives. But as life goes on, you and I ought to be able to say, hey, you know what? Those, those negatives just pale in comparison to these exceedingly great positives that we have come to learn about in our Lord Jesus. So here we see the truth in Ephesians, 20, Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. Learn Jesus, who is the truth, by listening to his voice as he speaks through his word. Learn Jesus, who is the truth, by listening to his voice as he speaks through his word. We'll look at this in two points. The first is the vital life of learning Jesus Christ, in verse 20. And second, the essential marks of learning Jesus Christ, in verse 21. So the first point, the vital life of learning Jesus Christ, in verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. So here, that, we got to think about what that is referring to. So we think about how in this book of Ephesians, as in most all of Paul's letters and most all the New Testament epistles, what we have is a transition 
And chapter 4 is that transition. So we have chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. That these were these indicatives. This is the Apostle Paul telling you about what the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has done on behalf of you, a sinner. And the great salvation that he has shown to us. That all three persons of the Trinity were active in saving you. Here we think also of the transition in Ephesians 4 through 6. These were the great things God did for you. Now, how then should you live? That's what Ephesians 4 through 6 answers. We have these, this transition. And, and the question comes up about the substance of the Christian life. Well, what is the substance of the Christian life? Is it simply believing or holding to the right doctrines? The answer is no, it's not. This is Ephesians chapters 1, and, 1 through 3. Now, I didn't say doctrine is not important. That's a very different of statement. I'm not saying that at all. But simply believing and holding to the right doctrines, that's not, that's not Christianity. Here also we see in Ephesians 4 through 6, merely living an upright moral life, is that Christianity? Well, that's not Christianity either unless... The, the living of, the, of that new upright moral life is motivated by what came before in chapters 1 through 3. Unless you're living the new life for the right reason, that's going to end in tragedy as well. Neither one is complete without the other. And it's not as if, perhaps I'm going to be confusing here, it's not, a, not as if I'm saying you hold to the right doctrine and then you live an upright moral life. That's a sum of Christianity either. Because that's, that's really only the tip of the iceberg that we see. So you ask, well, what's missing? What's missing is he who began a good work in you. So you think about how, how can we even believe these doctrines? How can we even believe these truths that are not only humbling towards man, but they're insulting towards man? Well, then we sort of think about that for a while. Wait, wait a minute. You know, there's this, this is saying. John Gerstner used to say, if, you're, if you can be insulted, you're no Christian. Right? We, we shouldn't be easily insulted, at least. Perhaps never insulted, but the idea of, hey, the criticisms that we take. Criticisms and insults are two different things, right? But we, we ask not to be insulted. You can criticize this all you want. But here, we ought to understand that what we have here is a hope in Jesus. That we're learning something. That we have true, true life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it begins with the new birth begins with this new birth and believing well Jesus then he he is God himself come in the flesh you're right he is and this is the new teachings that we no longer hold to the teachings of the world we hold to the teachings of our Lord Jesus and as we start to learn about those things we realize wait a minute he didn't just save me he saved me from something he saved me from myself. He saved me from this world. He saved me from, uh, from my, my flesh, my evil desires. He saved me from Satan. He saved me from the world. He called me, he called you to a life of holiness. Here, this is not your way of learning Christ, but you have not learned Christ in this way. So we think before of the things that are mentioned here. Futility of their minds. If futility described your life, here, I 
think, I think of that book, Pilgrim's Progress, and that, that place that was at the city called Vanity, and they had a fair there called Vanity Fair. And you, you can't get to the celestial city unless you, you pass through Vanity Fair. And there's all kinds of things that go on there. You think about any big city. You think about any small town, it's Vanity Fair will be there. And here, it's very easy to get distracted by the, the things of this world. And you think about how many of those things, all of those things, if they're distracting us from Jesus Christ, then they certainly are futility. Perhaps some of the things are not inherently sinful. Yeah, the way I describe that is you, you think about the air we breathe. If you inhale, you exhale, well, we, we inhale a lot of nitrogen, right? Nitrogen is the primary, primary gas that we're breathing in. But you realize that if you're in a closed environment, they put you in this giant airtight bubble, and, and then you keep on exhaling, right? And then you, you're exhaling this carbon dioxide, and at some point, this closed system the percentage of your oxygen decreases, and if it decreases only like one or two percent, then you start to get lightheaded, and you start to start start to make some strange decisions, and you realize that that nitrogen or carbon dioxide, which are are safe gases to breathe, well, they start to become dangerous if they displace the oxygen that you need to live, and so also the futility, the the vanity things, the things that are not inherently sinful that occupy your life, you start to see. You start to realize these are distractions. Here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that being darkened in their understanding or being darkened in our past understanding, that philosophy, that secular, that humanistic philosophy, it cannot arrive at God. It cannot, that man's intellect cannot raise him to find God. In fact, Everything that we see earlier in Ephesians 4, 17 and 19 tells us that the more man attempts uh, to ignore God or to exalt himself over God, the farther he gets from God. It's not ignorance, it's not ignorance of God, but rather a saving knowledge of him. Living to gratify sensual desires only hardens men and moves them farther away from God. So this is not the way that we learn Christ. It, it was through, through the rejection of those things. So how then did you get to learn Christ? You look at the origins. You look at the origin. Who took the first step? Who was the initiator? The answer is God. It wasn't as if it was our motive. It was God's motive. He is the one who initiated James chapter 1, verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the description of the new birth. No, no man gives birth to himself, no man conceives himself, so also no person gives themselves spiritual birth. It's only the work of God, that God gives spiritual life. And how, how is that witnessed? We witness that typically with the preaching of the gospel. Or in, in other instances, someone is reading their Bible and they come to understand the gospel. But usually it's through the preaching of the word. This is how people remember it. In Romans 10, how will they believe unless someone is sent? 
So here, the idea of someone hearing the good news of the gospel, that's typically where regeneration occurs, that they hear this word and they're given new life. And, and the response is that having been given new life, then they're able to hear the gospel. They're able to believe it, embrace it as their own. And from there, the Holy Spirit develops in you this spiritual thirst, a hunger for Jesus Christ and the things that are pleasing to him. Here, we have also the duty to learn Christ. This is a very unique phrase, we're told. You learned Christ. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures, this idea of learning someone. In fact, the scholars point out that this isn't even found in the contemporary Greek literature. So the secular literature, they don't describe this idea of learning a person. But how true it is that you as a Christian, that you and I, we must be learning Jesus Christ. It's not merely the doctrines about him, but it's Christ's character, his values, his loves. That we, we ought to be able to see things through his eyes. That you, are, you and I are called to learn what is pleasing to him. That we would think, what is pleasing to our master? We should be occupying our time, occupying our thoughts with the things that are pleasing to our Lord Jesus. Why is it that you and I must learn Jesus Christ? I'll give you a few answers. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. You have a duty to learn Jesus Christ because he is your one and only source of life. It is God who made us alive together with Christ. He is the source of that life. Here also we think about Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him for the wrath of God. You can try to fool yourself in thinking, all right, on my best spiritual day, on my best spiritual week, yes, Jesus died for me. But the truth is, no, no, no. There's no deceiving yourself. God knows everything about you. And you must be able to think, at your very worst, that is the one that Jesus died for. You, you and I, we don't, we don't, I don't think we actually fully understand the gravity of our own sin. As, as you age in Christ, as you get older, you look back and say, wow. I, I'm not a person worth saving. And it's like, yes, that's correct. That's correct. That, that is the right conclusion that you're coming to if you're saying, you look back at your life and say, I was not a person worth saving. We should come to that conclusion rather regularly. Because this is exactly what, what this passage is telling us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for those of us who are not worth saving. 
That is what it means to have no boast of our own. This is why you and I must learn Jesus Christ. Because we ask, where do we get our lives from? It came from Jesus. He died on the cross. He died in our place. He died the very death you and I deserve to die. You and I ought to learn Jesus Christ because he has bought you with his blood. He has paid the price to set you free. He owns you. He rightfully owns you. And that when he speaks, we ought to be listening. Here I ask you, do you spend loads of time learning a trade, learning a profession, learning a skill or a hobby? Perhaps some of these uh, skills are necessary. Perhaps the trade is necessary. In fact, we're, we're told that we ought to be diligent with our hands, that we ought to be laboring. This is what the Lord calls us to, that we would be active, we'd be laboring. That requires learning a skill, learning a trade, yes. Learning a profession, those are all good things. But you think about how much effort and time goes into that. I'd ask you, people of God, how much time, how much effort do you spend learning Jesus Christ? Learning the things that are pleasing to him. Learning his word. Going to him in prayer. Here we think about even our own thoughts. You are not your own anymore. Think back to that song of the Beatles, Tax Man, right? That whatever government, they see everything as taxable. Everything belongs to us. We're tax everything of you. That's what a government would think. But you understand, Jesus rightfully owns everything about you. He owns your intellect. He owns your thoughts. This is why we're told that we ought to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to learn him. That the thoughts that we think, we should be thinking his thoughts after him. And it is to his obedience that these thoughts and this learning ought to be. So that's the first point, the vital life of learning Jesus Christ. We have the second point, the essential marks of learning Jesus Christ. There in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So this assuming, uh, perhaps more, if surely, if surely you have heard about him. So this statement here, if you look in the original language, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him, it's he himself, it's the this emphatic, Christ himself is the one that you hear. And, and this this translation of heard about him, no, it's that you heard him. It's not merely hearing about him. It's not merely hearing facts about Jesus. It's hearing Jesus himself. And here, perhaps you're, you're asking me or you're thinking, wait a minute. Are you saying we're supposed to hear an audible voice of Jesus? That he's some kind of, uh, was it... The best would be James Earl Jones, right? The James Earl Jones voice, right? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But here, we think about what Jesus himself tells us. John chapter 10, verse 2 and following. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Do we hear the voice of Jesus today? The answer is yes, we do. We hear him speaking through his word, through the Bible that he has given us. Here, John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Why is it so important that we get people in contact with the word of God? It's so that, it's so that they can hear and recognize the voice of their master. That the stranger, the, the person who is outside of Christ, he comes to know his master because he hears his word speaking. He hears his master speaking in, in the Bible. And I ask you do, you, do you recognize the voice of your master? Even as he speaks to us in his word, that we would be submissive to him, that we would hear him. In our English language, we have this rather unfortunate distinction between hearing and listening. I, I, don't, I don't think there should be such a thing. And perhaps you could imagine you and your friend are in this conversation, and uh, you're, you were once together, and then you start to do this, right? You, you, you get to this fork, and you're going different ways. And, and the statement you often hear is, the person says, I'm hearing you, or I hear you. And, and what's implied there? They're saying, I hear you but I disagree with you, or I hear you, but I'm not complying. Hearing, my son helped me explain this one. Hearing is an auditory function, but listening is an action of the heart. You understand that distinction? It's not enough to be hearers of the word of God. We must be listening to the voice of our master, it's an action of the heart. Here, First Samuel chapter three, we have the calling of Samuel. Samuel was someone who had special birth, and after he was, you know, a child, reached child, weaned, and his mother Hannah gave gave him to Eli to be trained in the ministry, and he was being called. We're told he was being called to the ministry, and, and there was a voice at night while he was sleeping. And uh, he, Samuel hears his voice, and he gets up to Eli and says, you called me. He says, no, I didn't. Go back to bed. And this happened a few times, and then Eli comes to this conclusion, wait a minute, I think this young man is being called by God. So he tells, tells Samuel, okay, next time you hear this voice, say, speak, for your servant is listening. And how often... Do we take that attitude with our Lord Jesus? Speak, for your servant is listening. How often do we think that way? God, when you speak to us, when you speak to us in your word, this is not pious advice. This is, this is not, oh, I, I've got some suggestions for you. But rather, that we would say, Lord, when you speak to us in your word, this is my mandate. This is your mandate. These are commands that your master gives you. These are not optional. This is not extra credit. You and I ought to say we, we desire to please our Lord. It is dangerous to live otherwise. Think about what hearing requires. Hearing requires that you believe the word and testimony of our Lord. 
Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that hearing, we would believe the message. We believe the testimony. It requires that you and I believe what Jesus has said about us. That his diagnosis of your situation and my situation must be 100% accurate and true. And it requires that we believe that testimony about ourselves. Hearing also requires that you obey the Lord as doers of the word. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans 2 regarding the Jews. He had said, oh, you guys have the law. You boast that you have the law. But he says, but do you obey the law? And the answer is no. There's no. What do you mean you boast that you have the law? What's, what's the purpose of having the law if you're not going to be doers of the word? And we think also, the Old Testament reading that we had in Psalm 81. You can kind of imagine the scene. He talks about Meribah. So that's the book of Exodus. Masa, was it Masa and Meribah? Masa means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So you can imagine that the scene there was, this is Moses and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Psalm 81, verses 7 and 8. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Here, O my people, will I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. You think about what happened to that generation in the wilderness. Who actually entered the promised land? Moses didn't enter. We know Moses was saved. But you think about the generation that did not enter. These were the ones who hardened their hearts. These were the ones that God was speaking to. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. When he admonished them, they weren't willing to listen. He tested them. He said it again, Psalm 81, verses 11 to 13. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Here, it's very easy to think back. You look at these Israelites wandering the wilderness for 40 years. It's a long time to wander. Some of you young people, you haven't lived 40 years. It's a long time of wandering. And perhaps you're thinking, hey, what better thing that they, these Israelites are wandering in the desert for 40 years. What better thing that they have than to listen to our God? Huh? They should be listening. Well, what's wrong with them? They should be listening to God. They're just wandering the, uh, a bunch of sand. Right? A bunch of, well, cacti and vipers. Why aren't they listening to God? They have nothing better to do with their time. And then you look at your life and my life. What's really any different? Do we have anything better to do with our time? However, thousands of years pass since those wilderness wanderings, but is our situation any different? Perhaps you have some more high-tech gadgets. Perhaps your clothes look a little better. Your entertainment is a lot better, huh? But what better thing do you have than to listen to our God? He called his people to listen then. He's calling you to listen now. That hasn't changed. The duty 
to listen, to obey his word, has not changed for them or for us. So besides hearing our God, there's also being taught in him. Being taught in him. To be taught requires first that you and I have the humility to learn. It means recognizing our own need. This goes back to the ignorance. Right? We're separ- alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, that was once in us. But we realize the Lord Jesus, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that means you and I must, we must learn from him. We recognize our need, that in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Indeed, he has something to teach us. Here, you realize it is God who is at work, meaning that you can meet all kinds of strange and interesting people. And if we're understanding our God, then we must say, you can use any type of messengers and any type of tools that you want. Even even the drunk bum who is cursing you out, we can learn something from him. We should be able to, if we have the humility. Here, being taught means we're acknowledging there's something from Jesus that we can learn. Since we were once darkness and Jesus is the light of the world, it should be pretty simple to come to that conclusion We who are darkness, he who is light, he has something to teach us. As the truth is in Jesus. As the truth is in Jesus. And it's not as if Jesus is one of many truths. See, the world wants to tell you that all roads back then led to Rome. All the paths ended up in Rome. And they also, the world also assures you that there are many ways that lead to heaven. In fact, some even might say all the ways lead to heaven. That's not, the, that's not what our Lord Jesus says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. All who despise me love death. That's what we have in Proverbs. And you realize that, that wisdom speaking in Proverbs, that is Jesus speaking. That is Jesus speaking. All who hate me love death. Jesus was the one who told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to talk about all ways lead to death? You know why, you know why Jesus is the, is the most, is the least popular, is the most, most unpopular way? is because he excluded all the other ways. He says none of the other ways are saving. Jesus says he is the only way to the Father. This is why, this is why people don't like the good news of the gospel. Because it's exclusive. You can't do it by yourself. In fact, it's not that you need the crutch who is Jesus. It's saying... No. He is your entire hope of righteousness. He is your only hope of righteousness. Here, this is the reason why you and I ought to learn Jesus. This is why we ought to sit at his feet and listen to him. It's because he is the master. He is God come in the flesh. He is the truth. He's not one of many truths. He is the only truth. And this is the transforming truth. What it means for you and for me is that Jesus becomes the center of our being, the center of our thinking, and he becomes that defining truth for us. 
Here, we think about these Israelites wandering in the wilderness. They had their testing. They had the quarreling. And you realize that the role of doubt and disagreement and conflict, oftentimes this is the way that God uses to teach us Jesus Christ. When conflict comes, you see the wrongs in others. How often is it that you realize when you and I are most critical of others, it's because there's something ailing in us. And oftentimes conflict brings that out. Here, we ought to expect that there will be competing voices as you hear Jesus. As you're listening to the Lord Jesus, there will be competing teachers who come and say, no, no, I have something better to teach you. I have something different to teach you. There are going to be people who are going to try to compete for your attention, your time, your loyalties. There will be competing truths. Here, the warning is, silence them. Follow and obey Jesus Christ. Do not lose your focus from our master. Here we all think also about this concept of this worldview. If you and I are attempting to use our old learning, our old understanding to interpret the Bible, what you'll find is that there's going to be 10 million errors in the Bible, 10 million falsehoods, because the world can only tell us what the Bible is wrong. The Bible has all kinds of errors you can't depend on. Who wrote the thing? Hey, uh, how many times has it been corrupted? And all those questions come, and, and instead, if you and I are saying, God is sovereign, he can give us the word. He can, he can, he can keep pure his word throughout time. Are you and I able to judge this world and its standards through the lens of Scripture? This is what it means to hear Jesus, that that we have a complete turning around. We're not judging God. We're not judging Jesus by the world's standards. We're going to be judging the world by God's standard. This is what it means to submit to Jesus Christ, is persuading yourself that the word is true and everyone else is a liar. Jesus is the truth that you and I must learn him, that we must sit at his feet to be taught by him, that we should delight to be among his people as we fellowship, that we would point one another to Jesus Christ our Lord because he is worthy of it. He has saved you by a great deliverance. And that when you and I ask, why should I follow the Lord Jesus? Because your life is his. Your life belongs to him. That is why. And may that be enough for you and for me. We ask, What life did we have before him? The answer is, not a life worth living. And who are you in Christ? You are made new. You are created. You're newly created, sons and daughters of our Lord Jesus. That is why you ought to follow him. That is why you ought to hear him. That is why you ought to obey him. Because your master is one who willingly laid down his life for you so that you might have life. And true life is following him. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word.